0: I think you're going to be so glad we had communion before this message. You see the names we have up there for David? We focused a lot on shepherd, warrior, king. These next two weeks, Pastor Rob and I will go straight at it on David the sinner. We've been in this series now since early fall. We'll take it right up until Easter. And to tell you the truth, I, uh, I dread what I have to say today. And it weakens me. I, I actually didn't know if I could stand during all of our singing today because of the weight of this truth that comes to us from the scriptures we don't want to think of David as sinner. I don't. I want to think of him with all of his relationships in order. I want to think about him with his dear friend, Jonathan. I, I want to think about him uh, in his family life, with his relationships in order, with his brothers, with his father, with his mother, who came to live with him when he was in the wilderness. That was so good. I, I want to think of him as, 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 as literally when he first gets married, being so enthralled that God would choose one woman for him for his life. That's the David I want to remember. I want to remember the David who loved God with all his heart. I want to remember the David whom we imagine was in the wilderness as a teenage boy writing the best music that's ever been written in the Psalms. And I want to imagine that the David that I know and love and wait to see in heaven is the one who is dancing before the Lord. Unfortunately, that's not all there is to David. David's relationships are going to fall apart. His relationship with himself, his relationship with others, his relationship with God, they're all going to fall apart and the, the collapse will be so great that it will hinder his marriage, it will hinder his family, it will, it will be part of the destruction of a nation, and before these next two Sundays are over, the, the, the choices David makes in relationships will, will create civil war in the nation. If you don't get relationships right, nothing is really going to be right. It's the most precious part of who we are. This week, I I found myself just kind of with a slow state of light depression. Here's why. Even in our own staff group, we we have four score of people that work with us here in the church. And that's enough people that if you really get into their lives, you start to see the bruising and the brokenness everywhere. One of our precious leader elders has lost his precious wife of 40-plus years just, just a few weeks back. I hugged him on Sunday night, and I could just feel his pain. How do you get over that? Relationships. One of our staff was on the phone this week with her daughter in Colorado when she heard screaming on the end of the phone and, and a wreck and a car crash and she couldn't talk to her daughter anymore, whose life was saved by the jaws of life, we found out later. Moms, how'd you like to be on the other end of the phone? I mean, people, relationships, in life. Uh, one of our great leaders here, in, I haven't asked permission to share any names, so I won't, but he's probably in better shape than anybody on our staff, was rushed to the hospital with blood clots in his leg and his lung. Uh, two of my dear friends and colleagues that I served with at the Billy Graham Center for many years, Paul's mom just died, and Jean's dad just died, and I know what that's like. Relationships, relationships, relationships. So, knowing that I was going to be dealing with David in the breaking of relationships, I just let myself feel it, I, knowing me a little bit. Uh, Uh, And maybe you don't, but uh, I do. Um, I I found myself saying, where are places in literature that talk about this great thing of relationships and when they break, how sorrowful it is. So I went to the last book of the Lord of the Rings and the last chapters, and any of you that have read it or seen it, you know what happens to your heart when Bilbo and Frodo and Gandalf get on the ship that's going to go to the fair havens, to heaven, And the rest of the hobbits are left there. I could barely bear it. I knew it was coming, and I yelled at the screen, No! No! Relationships. Relationships done right give life its texture. Relationships done badly destroy us and everyone around us. And of course, then Bilbo and Frodo led me to music, and that took me to Sting. Uh, and Jeff, I've been trying to think. I think it happened because Bilbo's sword was named Sting. Yeah, and so that probably threw me to Sting, the composer, who, who if you want to get depressed, listen to Sting. But and I started being haunted again by that melody of, his, of that song, Fragile. And he's talking, it's a song about violence and war and what it does to humankind what it does in relationships. And, and he goes, uh, he uses rain and the stars as metaphor. He goes, on and on the rain will fall like tears from the stars, like tears from the stars. On and on the rain will say how fragile we are, how fragile we are, how fragile we are. Yeah, R- real stuff, people, relationships. Part of the reason I believe in Christianity is because Christianity doesn't gloss over anything in life. The good things and the bad things, straight at us about it. In fact, I will put a slide up here. C.S. Lewis once wrote this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun has risen not only because I see it but because by it I see everything else but because by it I see everything else and so this worldview that we call Jesus Christ in Christianity helps us to take a look at every factor in the human experience and that's where we go today with David and Rob will come back next week on the same subject. I'm actually hitting on chapters 11 and following, and he's going to hit on, um, uh, I'm sorry, I'm on 13 and following, he's going to hit on 11 and 12. Now, I need to make a caution here. We're going to see David's life unravel, we're going to see David do things that are appalling. And, and I'm saying this to parents, can I? Those of you who like to bring your young children in, This week and next week are PG-13. It's the only way to look at it. The Bible deals with these things. We're going to be straight up about it. Some of you may want to consider um, stepping out with your younger children during this time. Or expect to have some interesting conversations following the service. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Open your Bibles, please. Open them first of all to Second Samuel chapter five. Here we go, Second Samuel chapter five. And uh, I'm starting there because I skipped it when I did all my preaching earlier in the month, and you said he's he's skipping something very important. If you're an astute Bible student, you know that Lon purposely skipped three different passages, now summed up in the fifth. Where he didn't deal with something about David's life, he probably ought to have. Is that a phrase? Ought to have? I'm trying to be a bit English here now. All right. Chapter 5, 13 through 15. Chapter five, Second Samuel 13 through 15. After he left Hebron... David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were brought to him. Notice that's all very plural. Wives, plural. Concubines, plural. Sons and daughters, that's okay. 14. These are their names. The sons born to him there. Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Nefheg, Japhia, Eliada, Eliyadah, Yeah. (laughs) filet. <laughs> that sounds French. Filet. all right. And there's a lot more. Here's where we're going with this. David messed up the marriage thing royally. By the time David is done with this whole thing of marriage, he will have around 20 wives and concubines. Concubines, a type of wife, a little lower on the social order, used, utilized for alliances with other nations, married this person, concubine, sexual relations, romance, sex, alliance with nations, progeny, whereas the official wives were those who when they bore their sons, they could actually assume the throne. A lot there. Here's the point. When he started out, King Saul wanted to give him his wife. And David's reaction to that was I am not worthy of her. Don't, I am not worthy of one of your daughters. That's what I want every young man who comes to see me about my daughters to think. Mm-hmm. David goes from that to thinking he's not worthy of one to believing he has the right to take as many as he wishes. We enter into the era of polygamy. Over 20 different marital sexual alliances for David. Now, some of you might be saying, well, that was culturally acceptable. It was. Kings and people in position, power and wealth and authority did that. But we've been saying all along, David would go against cultural norms when they weren't according to God. But in this one, he doesn't. In this one, he falls, and he falls miserably. Let's look at what Moses had to say about marriage. Deuteronomy 17, 17. The king, is the context here, must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. Or his heart will be led astray. That's interesting. The reason for not having many wives is because of what happens when we make idolatrousness out of our marital or sexual relationships. It'll lead his heart away from God. The seventh commandment. Thou shalt not, what? Commit adultery. God was really clear on this whole thing. In fact, it goes clear back to the very beginning in Genesis. From Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read on the screen. And the Lord God said, this is right after Adam was around, it is not good for the man to be alone Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, singular, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they weren't ashamed. In those powerful verses we see that humankind wasn't meant to be alone. God created man for woman and woman for man, and he intended the level of relationship in which there would be total openness, total oneness, one flesh. That's not just talking about physical sexuality. It's talking about soul to soul, bonded together. Great thing. Incidentally, the name Adam in Hebrew, means man. And we think that the name Eve means living. And so I put it together, say, really living, man. And, and I can do that this weekend because Marie and I celebrate our 36th anniversary just next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. You, you could. It wasn't always this way, but I am really living, man. I see what God was about. That was God's design. That was God's plan. The first polygamy, however, breaks loose within six generations of Adam and Eve. And it, it doesn't stop there. Even the great, some of the great heroes of the faith were polygamous, were union with more than one woman. Abraham was one. You know what that did. Jacob was another. He had at least four, produced 12 sons, formed nations that are still at war with each other. And especially Isaac and Ishmael of Abraham. Moses comes along, and that's why we put up Deuteronomy 17, because that's the Mosaic law. And Moses, once again, direct from God, you don't do this. (laughs) It'll mess everything up. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The king shall not multiply wives for himself. It will lead his heart astray. But by the time of the judges, it's rampant again. And then it gets into the time of David. 20 wives and concubines or so. His son Solomon, get this, 700 wives, 300 concubines a thousand women in his life but there's a tone even in Solomon where toward the end of his life when he writes Ecclesiastes uh, when I think he's talking about God's original order maybe Solomon like David realizes this doesn't work and so when Solomon writes Ecclesiastes 9.9, 9, Ecclesiastes 9, nine, that's when he says to us, So, enjoy life with your wife, singular, whom you love all the days. And there's a little bit more there. All the days of this hard life is kind of the essence and context of that text. All the days that God has given you under the sun. This is your reward in life so polygamy was never God's deal adultery was never God's deal and I need to say this divorce was never God's deal Moses and then Jesus really puts his stamp on it of the way God intended it to be one man one woman faithful in a monogamous relationship for their life now I know when I say that, probably half or more of us in the room are going, ugh. For some, it's divorce. And I probably don't need to lecture you on the consequences of things not working out right. I've never yet met a divorced man or woman, even after they remarry at times, who doesn't have such deep sorrow. Over the things that didn't work and the consequences that came out of it. You see, God sets up His rules not to be mean, but to give us peace. They are boundaries. They are boundaries that help live life well, and when we step out of those, we are in deep waters. If you are divorced, God loves you. Remember the table? If you haven't been faithful, God loves you. Remember what I said? Our wrongs are more than we can imagine. And his love is greater than we can fathom. Forgiveness and restoration is possible, but oh, the pain, as you'll see in David's life. Now you say, well, at least we don't have the polygamy deal going on. (laughs) You know, we we don't do that. it's, It's against the law. But in our hearts, we do. I mean, isn't that some about what porn is and television and films we shouldn't be watching? And Marie and I thought we were going to watch a nice movie last night, kind of celebrating our anniversary weekend. It was called Gone Girl. Don't watch that, it's terrible. Um, isn't hidden. Polygamy, kind of the issue for some women. I mean, men will do this too, but women especially with romance novels. Uh, 55% of all paperbacks sold are romance novels. These kind, whether it's either your spouse or not your spouse, but it elevates such a view of of a romance relationship that no human person can ever approach it, but it makes you long for it. Fantasy, 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 fantasy. We are polygamously fanciful. That's just where it is. More people are divorcing today than 50 years ago. Uh, More people are not marrying today and not making that lifelong commitment. And all those things rupture souls and impact culture. Still, i got to say this. i got to say this. Because remember, Adam and Eve put together is really living, man. Right? Um, if you're married and it, you are having a tough marriage, it can get better. Did you know that uh, studies have shown that 62% of married people say they are very happy? I know the, the way you get it and everything else is, oh, no, no, nobody has a good marriage. Wrong. say that their marriage is very happy. And here's another thing. Of the 66% 66 of the people who say their marriage is unhappy, 66% of those who say their marriage is unhappy are able to get to happiness if they hang on for five years. And you do what you need to do. You know, we take more time to tune up our cars than we do to tune up our weddings and our marriages. Wrong. Um, part of the reason I wanted to do this message this morning is, is I really wanted to use it as a time to say, if you haven't signed up for the marriage conference, do it. Why would you miss that? I think even Jeff and Jill will be there, and their marriage is a 9+++. Plus, plus, plus We're all jealous of their marriage. Come. Some of you, this is awakening how terribly wrong your marriage is and you're barely holding on. That's why we hold re engage on Monday nights, where we help people wherever they're at in their marriage start that process of moving from unhappy to happy. Counselors can help. Don't give up on it. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But David sure did it badly, committed adultery at least with 20 different people. And things only go from bad to worse. It wasn't just his relationships with women. It's what happens to the kids. So now turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 13. And this especially, again, I just want to say to parents, if if you have younger children in here, um, I've already told you, either slip out for now or uh, do what needs to be done when you leave. We're going to go straight at it. Chapter 13. Now, Pastor Rob next week will tell you the enormous fall that David takes. I've already said 20 different women. But in one case, David will go so far as he will take one of his best friend's wives and then engineer the murder of his best friend in order to cover up a pregnancy. You're going to hear about that from Pastor Rob next week. The household that David's children grew up in. Now how many children did David have? Well if he was intimate with 20 women or so we have no idea. We know we've got at least 19 sons named one daughter Tamar. But in other passages it talks about multiple daughters and then multiple daughters and sons from the concubines who aren't part of the named ones. Chances are 50. Uh, We don't know. A whole lot, but we're zeroing in on the two most important sons, Amnon and Absalom, because Amnon is firstborn. He'll be the next king. And if he isn't, Absalom will. Now, Absalom was actually thirdborn, but the secondborn son's name is only mentioned once, and so never again. So we think that perhaps he died at a young age. So, Amnon and Absalom, here we go, get ready. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, firstborn, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, second to the throne, son of David. Three of his children are in that verse. Amnon, Absalom, and his precious daughter Tamar, the only daughter named in the scriptures of David. Verse 2, Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin. It seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. I hate that verse. It seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, Amnon had an advisor named Jonabab, son of Shemaiah, David's brother. Jonabab was shrewd. He asked Amnon, Why do you, the king's son, look so haggard morning after morning? Won't you tell me? Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Bab says, well, here's what you do. You go to bed, you pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say, Father, I would like my sister Tamar to come and give me something to eat. Let her prepare the food in my sight so that I can watch her. And then she can serve me from her hand. Please do that, Father. So that's exactly what Amnon did. David came to visit. Uh, David, uh, Father, would you mind? Have Tamar come and cook for me. She makes some great meals and uh, and just serve me. That will help me get uh, better. But of course, that's not his plan. Starting in verse 12 and following, he proceeds to rape her. And in verse uh, 14, She has been crying out to him not to do this, not to do this. Don't, don't, don't. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger, he raped her. Verse 15. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he loved her. Amnon said to her, get up and get out of my house. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than anything you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. He called his personal servant, and he said, get this woman out of my sight, bolt the door after her. So his servant put her out, bolted the door after her. She was wearing an ornate robe, for this was the kind of garment the virgin daughters of the king wore. But now Tamar puts ashes on her head, tears the robe as a sign of great mourning, Uh, and then she puts her hands on her head and she goes away weeping aloud and her brother Absalom said, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. What will the father do? What will David do? Verse 21. When King David heard all this, he was furious. Good he should be. But there's a period at the end of furious, and David does nothing else. His own daughter has been assaulted by one of his own sons and he who builds nations does nothing in his own home. And because he neglects his precious daughter, her brother will take up her cause and Absalom will seize with anger. And Absalom will wait two years. And then Absalom will kill and murder his brother Amnon. I mean, it's just loaded. You're, you, you can read all of this later today or this week. The rest of 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Here's what happens. Absalom kills Amnon. Absalom then flees to another nation. David lets him go. David mourns over Amnon's death, but it never says anything about him mourning over Tamar's death. Or rape, not death, but she was as good as dead. When that door is bolted, she would be a desolate woman for the rest of her life. David mourns over his son's uh, uh, death, and years later, Absalom is allowed to return and he and his father almost reconcile but not quite because David says all right he can come back to Israel but he's not to see my face he killed my son and Amnon I'm sorry and Absalom who wrongly murdered in revenge for what happened to his sister Absalom realizes I have no respect for my father the king at all And the rest of the story is him plotting, planning to usurp the throne, and he will raise up an army, and that army will be so strong that David will have to flee Jerusalem with his, with, with the few that are still with him, and he flees into the wilderness, and then others rally around David, others ra- rally around Absalom, and then they go to war, and David's army defeats his son's army, and then David said, but please, if we win, don't kill my son Absalom, 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 he had rejected him his whole life, Now he Him back, Absalom, even though Absalom was responsible for the death of thousands of David's people, and on and on it goes. And David can't get anything right now. And so, Joab, his nephew, general of the army, he kills Absalom. This can't go on in Israel. By the time it's all over. David has one precious daughter whose life has been shattered, two sons that have died, and over 20,000 people in the Civil War that ensued from it. Friends, there are always consequences to sin. And the more influence you have as a person, the more your sin spills on others as I look at David as a father it just makes me so sad I think there's at least three things that he did wrong and never got right one, neglect he neglects Tamar in her time of need sorry, this, this always chokes me up why why didn't he bring his daughter back into his house? He neglects her. He'll end up neglecting Absalom. Beyond that, his poor discipline allows for unbridled, wrong decisions made by his children that end up causing great harm over a whole society. Poor discipline. This is a guy who disciplined massive armies. But sometimes we don't do well in our own house, right, men? Help us, Lord. And then finally, his third thing is idolatry. When Absalom's trying to kill him and take over the country, David says to his warriors, win this war but don't hurt my son. He moves into almost an idolatry toward Absalom. Absalom, And when when he finds out Absalom has been killed, he mourns in such a way that all the army that fought for him feel as if they've done something wrong in winning the war. He just about lost the whole nation at that point. Which reminds me that it's pretty easy for us to make idols out of our children too. God save us. David as a father. Now, I want to say a couple things because this has unlocked all sorts of stuff. I know I've already unlocked what some of you are feeling about divorce or broken marriage. And, and probably some of you here have been sexually abused. Generally, it happens to women. Occasionally, it happens to men. We are so sorry. The impact of that is overwhelming. But we love you this church is not gonna hide from anything that goes on in our culture and your church wants to help and your God loves you Jesus will never forsake you and third maybe on the preciousness of life this is awakened even in some of you ladies that have made a decision for abortion in your past I'm sure we have many in our church and no one can describe the pain of a lost child, I know. And even though you probably did it feeling it was the best choice to make, your soul tells you it wasn't. Again, I want to say this. We love you, and we want to help you. And better yet, God loves you. In fact, there's a, uh, a, a, a site that we're going to put up here now for any of you that have struggled in, in abortion in the aftermath. It's called, uh, you can just write to restoreofdupage at gmail.com. We work with a group called CareNet to help people. Well, where do we go with all this? When relationships don't work right, when we don't follow God's ways, Everything else breaks apart in our lives. Here's my takeaways for this morning. Number one, Satan seeks to destroy our relationships with self, with others, and with God. David is a moral wreck at this point. He will return. The one thing David knows how to do better than anybody I've ever read is to be sorry. But look what happens. Number two, consequences of our sin are always with us. Please, please understand this. God loves you. God's grace offers forgiveness for all your sins. God's grace offers you the gift of eternal life. God's grace says that he will be with you and walk alongside you in whatever you've done. But God's grace does not erase consequences. as many of you feel them in your soul. That's a reason to get the God thing right. (laughs) Because life is pretty painful when you make these big, huge things and they go wrong. And finally, the third thing to remind you again as I close. Forgiveness is real. Hear Jesus. Neither do I condemn you that's number one and secondly from the cross our Lord says Father forgive them they didn't know what they were doing the forgiveness and the restoration of Jesus Christ are real there's not a person here who's not broken but here's what we have to say God will be with you, God will heal you, and there is hope. Pray with me now. Our Father, we come to you aware that we are people of great brokenness and that some of us have inflicted great sorrow and to some extent all of us are victims of great sorrows and sins. Wherever your people are at this morning, comfort them and let them know of your forgiveness and your restoration. And thank you for our church, which is about 4,000 misfit toys all brought together, all broken, all crying out for your love and all filled with thanks for all you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.